All right, and uh, welcome back to another episode of Brain Tools. Today, we're very excited to have uh, an epic guest who we've been following for quite some time on various channels. First of all, Kieran, how you doing, my friend? Man, I'm delightful. I'm so excited. I'm chomping in at the bit for this. Who do we have on the show today? Today, we are lucky enough to have Mark Metri with us. Mark Metri is the author of Screw Being Shy. He was a recent TEDx speaker. He is an expert on all things shyness, social introversion, uh, mental health, and has had an incredible journey uh, and come up. He also hosts a top 100 podcast, Humans 2.0, which we love, and is really, really active on LinkedIn. Um, probably one of my favorite people on there, to be honest. Mark, thanks so much for coming on our show. Yo, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate uh, the ability to you know connect on on similar stuff, even though you guys are halfway across the world from me. And, uh, and yeah, I'm literally so excited. And I appreciate everyone for tuning in also. Well, we're really excited to have you. And yeah, we're halfway across the world, but we're already already connecting. So My spirit. Spirit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spirit animals. <laughs> so talking about that journey from like shy and as to use your words, like over overweight to this TEDx speaker, a LinkedIn celebrity, if you don't mind me saying, this top 100 <laughs> podcast host, author of an awesome book, Screw Being Shy, which I've read and loved, by the way, to now teaching people how to overcome their shyness. Like what a journey. Can you tell us the story of like what led you here? Like how did you end up coming down this path? Yeah, well, it's funny what you said about being a LinkedIn celebrity. Uh, last week, I was uh, I was having lunch with my girlfriend, and uh, we're at this restaurant, and we're the waiter's walking us to the table, and then all of a sudden, some dude stops me. He's like, "Yo, are you Mark?" I'm like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Yo, I bro, I've been following your content for years," and he was like with his mom, and, and we started talking and stuff. And I honestly, I honestly, I don't really get, I don't really like get shy or socially anxious anymore that often. But literally all of a sudden, like randomly, I just kind of got a little bit shy and it was kind of a weird, but it's, um, it's a, it's like a good little story to like show that, um, you know, both things can be true at the same time, but wait, so what was your question? My, my journey, how did I get out yeah. of that? I'm sorry. I just I, how, did, how did you end up writing a book called screw being shy starting from yeah, you know, this point where you're this super shy human being? Yeah. So, so for me, you know, my life, like I, um, I was always called shy. I was always called quiet. And um, I never really thought of myself as shy. It was almost just as if like I sort of like accepted um, like this, this external label, but I acted like someone who was shy. And it wasn't until I was like 18 to where I realized that there's this thing called social anxiety, which is like this, uh, like this problem that basically affects you socially in terms of like, you know, every time you feel like you want to be yourself, uh, part of like your mind and part of your in, uh, nervous system basically gets you to like not not act like that when it comes to other people. Um, and so I always thought that that like that was just me or I thought that was just like, oh, that's what it's like to be shy or like that's what it's like to like be an introvert. Um, and then it wasn't until um, I just discovered what social anxiety was and I started to really learn about mental health. Um, but also it's interesting because also at the same time when that happened, I started to like try to put myself out there more. And so I tried to like, you know, I, I had like just gotten to college at the time, university. And so I was trying to like make friends and people and whatnot. But what's interesting is that 
everything I did didn't work. And so I would like try to talk to people. I would like try to walk out to people. And I would just like literally just like feel my brain like literally just forcing me <laughs> to like keep walking. Or like if I was able to talk to them, I just would go blank. I wouldn't be able to say anything. And so that's when I was like, oh shit, like, I, like I'm stuck like this for the rest of my life. Like there's something wrong with me. And so when that happened, I just like fell down. This is like when I was 18, I fell down like this like dark depressive spiral where all kinds of things from like, you know, uh, substance abuse to, you know, all of a sudden becoming overweight, like gaining over like 75, 85 pounds in a short period of time, uh, getting seriously depressed for the first time in my life. Um, even having even worse sleeping problems than I always had sleeping problems throughout my life. Um, and really just like all kinds of issues. And next thing I know, like the best way to put it is like, I feel like my brain broke. And next thing I know, this is like at the end of 2015 and I'm just like suicidal. Like I'm just like, I'm in so much pain. I have no idea what to do. And so for a span of like three weeks, four weeks, I'm like suicidal. And so that ended up happening to me when I was like 18. And and, uh, obviously it was a terrible thing to happen, but it was also one of the greatest things to happen to me, obviously in in hindsight, um, because it really showed me like what the worst case scenario is if like you don't take care of your mental health. And then it also taught me that if you are, if you're in certain actions, if you're doing like the same thing for like five years, 10 years, that's going to create like a different version of you. And a lot of the times I feel like in life, we don't really learn uh, what certain consequences are to doing different habits. And so like what I've learned is that if you do something for 10 years or if you don't do something for 10 years, you're either going to end up like changing the course of your entire life um, or you're going to set yourself up for success. And like what I'm talking about is like for me, you know, the years where I faced social anxiety, like around ages seven or eight until 18, that put me in this mess where like all of a sudden 10 years later, all of a sudden I'm suicidal and I'm depressed and I'm obese. And it's because I sort of lived this way for a decade. And so I, I sort of realized that like, oh shit, like if I if the same thing continues to happen, by the time that I'm 28 or by the time I'm 30, oh my God, like I'm gonna like I'm gonna have an even worse life, you know? And so mm. I learned so much, but like really when that happened, that eventually got me to take my mental health more seriously. And I started to climb out of that hole and I started to like rewire my social anxiety and rewire my mind and really my brain and my lifestyle and really everything in life. Um, And so through that process, I ended up starting like different businesses, um, you know, ended up doing different things. In 2017, I started my podcast, Humans 2.0. And then that led me on this crazy journey of like, interviewing over like 300 people, some of like the world's top experts, figures in different fields. And that completely changed my life, both personally and professionally. Um, And, you know, I ended up, you know, whether it's like public being publicly recognized or like, you know, different organizations or people wanting to work with you, or just like me personally, at that time being 20, when I had started the podcast, just like learning from like all of like the world's best, like head on and then developing relationships with those people. And so eventually, like I, I was on my podcast, I, I heard so many people's stories. 
And then eventually like my audience started to get bigger. And so people started to ask me about my story. So then I started to talk about, you know, my, my stuff and my story. And then I did that for a couple of years and I started to realize like, oh, you know, every single time that I go and speak, like for example, in 2019, the year before shit hit the fan, um, I went on this speaking tour basically in America where I, where I spoke in every single major city in the U.S., and what was really interesting is that at the end of every single time I spoke, there would always be like at least one person who would walk up to me who would look like very shy. They would like look down. They wouldn't really make eye contact with me. Maybe they would stutter. And they would literally ask me the same exact question in every single city, different people. They'd ask me the same question. Mark, how did you go from someone who you know, socially anxious, very shy to being able to like go on a stage and, you know, speak in front of hundreds of people about like, you know, stuff that's very personal. And so that happened so many times. And then I realized that like, there's, there's not really many people that are talking about this. Um, and so I was just like, this is like one of the biggest things that when I unlocked it, it, it just felt like I unlocked like a prison within myself. And then that led me to like doing all the things that I'm able to do now that I've always wanted to do. And so I basically started to realize like, oh, this whole social anxiety, this is like a this is like a meta problem. And and the and a, a huge issue around it is that a lot of people are either wrongly confused or just in today's world and society, you know, it's wrongly mistaken as like being shy or being like a good little introvert, which is just like someone who like likes to like spend time by themselves and they enjoy it. Whereas like there's people like me where like literally for 10 years, I tried to be social every day, but my brain wouldn't let me. And like every single time that happened, I would be like, man, I'm so stupid. Like I'm so dumb. Like I don't deserve to talk to people and all this stuff. And every time that happens, that like reinforces, you know, those neural networks in your brain that make thinking and feeling like that easier. And the next thing you know, 10 years pass by and then life is really bad. And you're like, oh, shit, like, how did I get myself in this mess? And so I just like realized that like, it's like this very, it's like this, it's like this like matrix puzzle in your brain that's very hard to like realize that you are even experiencing it and then how to even get out of it. It's not really common sense. And so I was just like, I literally see this problem all the time. And I believe in, um, I'm personally someone like who believes in like the root cause, you know, like I don't believe in just like spewing information and crap just so people can like buy my book or my program. I'm all about giving people like the root information that they need that is going to lead them to the result the quickest. And I always knew that when people would ask me at events or, or whenever, like even in podcasts or different conversations, like how do you deal with social anxiety? There's like a, you know, there's a multi-layered approach, you know, with everything, there's different levels of complexity, there's steps that you have to take. And so I wanted to write like a, like a book to be able to give to someone and be like, Hey, before I give you some like BS, you know, three tips on like how to be more confident and network that aren't really going to work for you. Let me like try to give you like the best information that I've learned as a result of like literally facing this problem for 10 years. And then also being able to talk to people who are a lot smarter than me, different neuroscientists, doctors, all, all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds and, and levels of success um, to be able to put this together to just be like, yo, this is for 
like the younger version of myself. Like if I could write a book, if I could create something from the younger version of myself to like get this and be able to walk through different steps, um, that's what it is. So yeah, to answer your, 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 your question in this very long answer, that's why I decided to write my book, Screw Being Shy, that is available on Amazon and, and also Audible. It's also an audio book that I narrated myself. It took me a very long time. It took me like eight hours, nine hours. It was a big pain. But it's uh, yeah. it's so interesting you talk about um that that idea of how it's like laborious, like it's such a layer because you have spent five years, you know, thinking about one thing. It's like five years walking in a certain direction only to try and like reverse that, and you have to go through an entire process about it. And it almost is, as you said, is that physical work of dealing with depression, mental health. Uh, I'm curious, what what are the, now that you're here, what are the specific lessons that you've learned? I suppose in giving yourself a fighting chance to overcome this, because I can imagine right now, given COVID, everyone's talking about it. There's a lot of people that are probably sitting in a similar position to where you were, as you said, when you hit rock bottom. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, if I can, you know, if I can speak to people who maybe this generally applies towards mental health, but I'm speaking more in terms of social anxiety. What I'm saying is like literally the three. Like if I could give someone three things that are like the most uh, provable in terms of like science and that work for the most amount of people, for people who want to get out of social anxiety, it's three things. It's literally um, learning how to manage your gut microbiome, which is mostly through nutrition and um, and like stress management. Management Number two, mindfulness meditation. Number three, exposure therapy. Those three things are like the go-to and I can expand on each one of those, but those are like the three pillars that I would say, and obviously it's different for each person. Everyone is starting at a different spot. Um, but those are the three things. And so like, for example, in my book where I talk about this time where I was suicidal and where I was obese, the, you know, the subsection of the book is something like first my gut broke and then my brain broke. And so basically what I learned looking back at it is that what happens is like, so when you're a kid uh, and your nervous system and your body is first being formed in the world, uh, depending on your genetics, depending on your brain type, depending on behavior that you've seen around you, depending on your, your parents, your family, a lot of different kinds of factors, what usually happens is that there is for some people um, there is sort of like this uh, this like traumatic event that may or may not shock your nervous system, and basically what happens is when your nervous system gets shocked, it also disrupts your gut microbiome, and so everything in the body is connected. It's not just your brain. It's not just your body. It's not just your mind. It's also your gut microbiome, your neurotransmitters, all different sorts of things, and so basically what happens is. Your gut microbiome, one of the things that it does in part of it functioning properly is it helps regulate certain neurotransmitters that basically help create your reality. And so a big one, for example, is called serotonin. And serotonin, it's, um, it's affiliated in all sorts of different things in terms of like your mood, your digestion, to even how you function when it comes to social hierarchies within groups. And so when it comes to social anxiety, like there's literally a part of your brain, this neurotransmitter that is literally trying to detect where you stack up in terms of your social status, in terms of what it thinks. It could be wrong. And then based on that, it uses the same neurotransmitters to create your mood, to affect your digestion, to impact your sleep, which then basically starts to like put you in a set of key behaviors. And so what happens is, 
eventually, if your gut microbiome reaches to a point where the bacteria in there are not doing well, and usually this comes from eating too much junk food, drinking too much alcohol, being too stressed out, not sleeping well, uh, doing too many drugs, not exercising enough, not getting enough sunlight, um, just feeding your uh, feeding your mind in terms of like your mind's diet, um, in terms of like your beliefs and then also like your consumption habits, all that stuff starts to get impacted. And so usually like what happens is like you have to be able to like walk your nervous system, how to shift back. And, and part of what I think is the most literal layer is done through your nutrition, right? Because if you think about it, like literally from the moment that you're born, ever since your mom gives birth to you, your body and your brain grows based on the breakfast, lunch, and dinner that you eat every single day. And so a lot of the times, like when you look at it, your, your biology in terms of your cells, in terms of how your brain functions, one of the most basic layers is just like the fuel that you're giving it in terms of the food. And so that's like a very basic thing. And I mean, I personally don't believe in a universal healthy diet, but I think what is like a universal healthy uh, sort of principle is just like eliminating artificial chemicals and processed foods. And like, I don't know what the situation is like in Australia or, or Singapore, but um, if it's anything like the, like Europe, like the EU, um, I know that the EU ha- ha- has basically like banned over like 250, 300 different ingredients that if you look in America, these ingredients are in basically all the foods that everybody eats. And so like they're literally illegal in like this continent, but then you go to America and they're completely legal. And like all of these different, um, you know, chemicals can impact people differently. And there's all sorts of different studies that, you know, uh, mention all sorts of things. Um, And like, for example, like one of the most basic things is like making sure that you eat enough dietary fat. And like, again, I don't know what the local diet is where you guys live, but like basically in America, this is the diet. You wake up <laughs> and and you basically just get handed like a bowl of like dessert and then you go to lunch for school and then the school system gives you like chocolate milk with like fried chicken tenders and French fries and then like a, a fruit cup where that has peeled fruit that's like literally filled with sugar and corn syrup. And then for dinner, you get fed like some, like some, ter- you know what I mean? And so basically what happens is your gut microbiome and your body never has a chance to like recover. And so, I mean, I know I've said a lot and I mean, I could go deep in every single one of these. I'm just sort of scratching the surface. Hmm. Um, yeah, totally. But I can keep I, going. I mean, it's up to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you touched on some, some really great points there, especially around the connection between anxiety and the nutritional intake people have in their lives. And that point around like sugar and um, high fructose corn syrup is is really pertinent because what we know about the, the simple structure of simple carbohydrates like sugars is that they cause this like hyperactivity in the brain. It turned into glucose really quickly and that can actually fuel uh, a lot of the angelotic uh, or anxiety processes. Um, and so I'm actually thinking of particularly there was a post i don't know if you follow him andrew huberman had a post recently talking oh yeah about, talking about that yeah she emailed he actually emailed me a few weeks ago fun fact no Hell's no yeah. way the huberman yeah, yeah. massive yeah, jealousy right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, yeah, it's I'm coming on, on my podcast yeah it's uh, crazy man crazy that's email. epic 
Yeah, so he um he talked recently about that gut brain communication and health because, like you said, there is the precursors to all the neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, um, etc. All start as amino acids in the gut and they're passed upwards. So it's like what you're putting in is determining what your brain is turning into these neurotransmitters, which then impact your mood and behavior. Uh, but like you said, no one really talks about it. Like I, I've never been to a, an anxiety or a shyness talk where they're like, "What's your diet?" Like, what are you actually eating today? Dude, it's crazy, man. And again, like, I think a fine line is like understanding that, yeah, if you eat, if you eat like one healthy meal, it's not going to like cure your anxiety, right? That's like, that. Yeah. no one's saying that. But what's also important is just like, 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 dude, it, it's, it's crazy because so many different people I feel like have like these beliefs around food. Um, or yeah. we're just never taught it. And, you know, it's a tricky subject to talk about because it's sort of like religion. Like everyone has like their b- different beliefs around food. And, and like, for example, like, dude, I there's literally people who they'll, you know, they'll listen to me on a podcast or they'll find me from whatever and then they'll follow me. And then literally the second I talk about food, they will just unfollow me, not be interested. And the reason why is because like they, they have the same exact thing that I used to have, which is like I had an emotional addiction to food. And like the second that so you're exposed to an idea that's contrary to that, your mind tries to get you to like disassociate and be like, no, that guy is bad. That guy's evil. But it's really just because you don't want to change your behavior. And so that some people like that, I've, I've come across some. Um, but it, it, it's huge, man. And, and, um, and yeah, I mean, Andrew Huberman, he's a great person to learn from. And, uh, and it's just such an important topic, man, because like this, this is the foundation, right? And like a lot of people who, who like don't eat healthy at all, they will either just like dismiss this as like, oh, that's so simply stupid. Like that can't possibly work. And then like they go into these other things like, you know, meditate, which I, I'm a totally big fan of meditation. I think you can meditate first and not, you mm-hmm. know, it's, everyone has their own path. Uh, but then they'll go into like these other complicated subjects and like the, the, like how to manage your mind and whatnot. And it's like, yo, what people don't understand is like, if you don't have the pillar, which is your nutrition, sleep, exercise, um, and then some sort of like stress management or some some way of managing your mind, like you're going to find it very hard to be able to do anything else and get long-term results. Obviously not for everyone, but like, for example, it's like those three things that I mentioned in terms of your gut microbiome, nutrition, uh, you know, meditation and then exposure therapy. When I was on my journey and I was 18 and I realized I had social anxiety, I did exposure therapy first and what happened, it didn't work. Right. And so people need to understand, again, it's, it might be different for, for, for different people, but there's like a, there's an order of operations, you know what I mean? And it's Mm -hmm. like your brain, um, you know, like can't focus. Like for me, I had a huge problem when it came to focusing on things, when it came to controlling, you know, my, my attention. And like, I always thought that was because I was stupid or I thought that was because, oh, I wasn't interested in school or whatever it is. And I think there's some truth to that, but really what it was is just like, yo, my brain was fried. Like I was literally consuming sugar all day, which then messed with my sleep. And then I couldn't sleep. And then if you don't sleep, you're, you're eating sugar. Your body isn't eating enough of like the right fats, it's not getting enough of the right nutrients, the complex carbohydrates, things like that. Yo, you're literally gonna end up in this cycle for the rest of your life. And to unless like you get lucky, or unless you have someone that teaches you these things, or unless you have that awareness. And so that's the biggest thing. Like, if you can get started on this first, 
this is a foundation that'll work. And like, again, I don't believe that there's such thing as a universal healthy diet. I think there's foundations, but like, this is not a fad. You know what I mean? Like, eat, like changing what your diet, like that's not a fad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's like, you're never going to get to a spot in your life where you're like, wow, eating healthy isn't worth it. You know what I mean? And like your definition of being healthy can change and your understanding and your relationship with food can change and your gut microbiome can change. But like, this is something that I would, uh, like I highly recommend people to invest in and, and even just start to invest, even if that's just like learning and just like being aware of just like what you're putting in in the first place. Like I know for me, I literally had no idea that food impacted you. I literally had no idea that food impacted you other than if you eat too much food, you'll gain weight and you'll be fat and then no one will like you. That's literally the only thing <laughs> that I knew about food. Like that's it. That's it. I had no idea. Uh, I, I love that trail. I love that logic. Yeah. So it's such a true like event plan. It just goes all the way across like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. But dude, that's a huge issue. You know, and I remember for me, like, um, I mean, it's funny what you said about sugar because th like in my book, I don't know if you remember, I talk about how sugar is like a gateway drug to anxiety. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and like what happens is like, they, they like did this study and it was, they took, they looked at people's glucose levels uh, that were on like, you know, the American standard diet. And then they took people's um, like glucose levels, uh, people who face like really severe anxiety and, and bipolar. And what they found was that they were basically the same. So a person who eats like a high carb Amer American industrialized diet, their energy levels in terms of like you know, all of a sudden, like the glucose spikes, then, you know, it's the fastest form of available energy to the body. And then it gets used as anxiety. And then you have the energy crash and then you go down and then you get depressed. And then you're like, oh shit, what's wrong with me? And then that gets you anxious again. And then you look to eat food. And then it's like this like cycle. And then because of the food that you ate, you can't sleep at night. And then because of that in the morning, you're like, okay, well then when it comes to like a healthy option, which, which isn't going to really give you any dopamine, in the short term compared to a non-healthy option, you're like, oh, oh, I want the donut because there's no baseline of happiness because your neurotransmitters are depleted. And so it's like this very toxic cycle that is very brutal that like a lot of people are, are into and some of them ha have no idea during that toxic cycle. Some people do. No. Um, and, and then they're sort of using willpower or like they're using brute force as a way to get out of it when in reality that's just making them more exhausting and burning them out and then they're not seeing results and then they're like oh this isn't gonna work so then they're like you know what nothing's gonna work for me and they just like go down the spiral of just like being nihilistic and hopeless and that's that's like literally what gets you depressed and suicidal and and, and like doing all these things that got me there at 18 so it is a yeah. spiral it's like literally a cycle like it's like totally. all a cycle it's all connected it is totally a spiral and connected. And it's all, like, it, like you said, based on that foundation of yeah, nutrition, sleep, exercise, nutrition in particular, because you can't really build a house if your foundation's uh, crumbling exactly. and the house is sinking into the ground. You spoke a little bit about attention there, which I think is yeah. really important because recently was a huge fan of your analogy, our mind is a radio. Uh, it actually kind of makes sense neuroscientifically. Could you explain that a little bit and how it relates to, to shyness? Yeah. So our mind, our brain is literally a radio. So the same way that like you're in your car, you have AM and you have FM. There's two different frequencies. That's literally our brain. And and like, for example, you can even look at the, the neuroscience behind this, which I'm sure you're going to talk about. It's like the active mode versus the, the default mode network. And so like they've showed on certain brain scans, like when your brain 
is um, focused in the present moment. Like you're here and now you're at, you're sort of at um, like your brain understands what's happening. You're not trying to like predict what's about to happen. You're not anxious. You're not depressed. Your brain uh, is, is literally functioning in one mode. Whereas when you get anxious, you get distracted, um, you, your brain doesn't have the attention. Your brain literally shifts into that mode. And it's a different mode of like, it's like where you disappear. It's like where like you're going for like that drive and it's like the same drive you've always been on. And then you get in your car and you drive and then you just get out of your car and you're at the location. You're just like, yo, what was I just thinking? Like, what was I just doing for like the last half an hour for the last 45 minutes? And that's because your brain was put in the default. And for some people, this is how like anxiety and depression and like the seeds of it can be sowed. Um, and so in my analogy, I basically talk about how um, especially when you're starting off on your journey, you're trying to overcome these issues that maybe have plagued you for a lot of your life. It, a lot of the times, like people are obsessed of like, oh, it's either zero to a hundred, right? It's either like my goal is to like have no anxiety ever and I'm going to eliminate anxiety and it's going to be a thing of the past. And the reality is, is that, that that's not really a realistic viewpoint. And instead of trying to shut it off, it should be more viewed of like a radio channel. There's AM. And maybe in this case, that can be like your anxiety self. And there's FM, which you can say is maybe like your true conscious, you know, calm self. And so it's really, it's not about trying to like delete or destroy or, or, or eliminate one channel. It's actually about learning that both channels are always going to exist at all times, but it's your choice based on how you use your attention muscle and what you focus on. Because the truth is, is that both channels are over there. And so when, when like someone who has anxiety or social anxiety their entire life, a lot of the times they're, they're actually just stuck in the AM channel. And like, that's why like their brain always feels like it's on. They're never really able to like be themselves. They're always tired. They're always exhausted. Um, they don't do end up, they, they don't, they don't end up doing the things that they want to do. And when you can have like an experience of being shifted into the FM channel, then I think that's where you start to learn like, oh, I can actually start to change these around. And you do that mm. just through harnessing your attention. And, and, and again, there's different baselines of like how you become attentive and how you focus. I think, I think one of the biggest ones is um, like what we just talked about in terms of like if you're not sleeping well, eating well, exercising well – it's going to be a tough time in general for you to focus. Um, and there's different things too. You know, like I, I wrote this part, uh, article, like this podcast, and I basically talked about how like a lot of people, they can't focus because their brain is too busy overthinking, especially like in, in, in like people with social anxiety and social scenarios. Mm. Um, and so, and so, yeah, it's like a huge, huge concept because if you can focus on that, if you can focus on how do you get your attention muscle right, then you're going to be able to unlock a lot of other things in life. Because the truth is, is that, yo, if you can't sit down and like watch a YouTube video, if you can't sit down and like do a course for like an hour and like your brain is too busy distracted, you're not really going to be able to do anything. And like that, and I don't, and I say that, I don't even say that as a joke because like I literally face this my entire life. And like, for example, when I was 18 and I was like starting to try to get out of this mess, I was like trying to 
read books. I was trying to listen to podcasts. I was trying to like watch videos, but literally my attention was so bad. I literally couldn't do it. Like I literally sit there and I try to watch a video, try to watch a podcast. And then I would just like be on my phone. I just like, and I'd be like, wait, wait, what? Like, what am I doing? And so one of the things that I did, for example, is like, I started to go for walks outside because I realized that when I would go for a walk and I, maybe I would listen to an audiobook or I would just listen to uh, something that's like inspirational or listen to a podcast, I could actually focus a little bit better. And like, that's because, um, you know, when you walk, it helps like shift your blood flow. And like, there's all kinds of science that I'm sure that you know about, um, that can help you with that. And so really it's like learning about how do you teach your brain to focus and understanding that your attention is a muscle. And then you can use that muscle to then when anxiety comes, shift your attention off it. And the thing is, is that when you shift your attention off it, it's not like, it's not like I'm saying distract yourself and just like ignore it until it goes away. But what I'm saying is that like your brain will literally enter into a different state of mind. And when you enter in that different state of mind, you will be able to change how you interact with life itself and yourself. And when you can do that, just like a little different radio frequency, then that's going to give you a lot more examples to be who you are. And like the more examples that you can get in front of yourself of FM, of who you really are, the more that you're going to build a stronger catalog and library of evidence and of proof to your brain that can overcome that AM anxiety default mode of your brain. Mm. If that makes sense. It, may, it, like, it makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of making me think about a couple of things. So really like that walking point because when we're walking we're actually activating that default mode network and the executive network at the same time so you're like mm. standard walking means that your body's moving default mode but the executive too and what that means is it's actually easier to to connect ideas but also take in new information but second second thing Ooh. is there's actually a great study out there where they got people who were really really anxious and they said hey i know you're anxious right now just play tetris for a couple of minutes, shift your attention to Tetris or a maths mm. problem with the two examples they used and they scanned their brains. And what they found was when they shifted their attention away from whatever was causing them anxiety and stress to, to Tetris or to uh, this maths problem that mm. the activation in the amygdala and the other uh, fear related circuits and anxiety related circuits just totally stopped. So it's like <laughs> direct redirecting that attention to another part of the brain meant that they stopped experiencing that anxiety because they were like shifting that anxiety spotlight away from what was causing mm. them um, anxiety. But I know Kieran had um, some really great uh, follow-up to this as well. I try to have a great follow-up, mate. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, the key that is really talking about is when you talked about root causes, where we talk, we're talking about like the Pareto principle here, which is let's get the pillars right of sleep, um, of, of diet and so on. And so I'm reminded of that quote by Benjamin Franklin. I think it's like a, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Now, when you like really shift into the moment where you are find yourself in these sort of, uh, I'll call them anxious situations, can you share some sort of tips or strategies for when you find yourself in the moment, what, you know, what people should avoid, what should they try to do uh, when that happens to them and they're not prepared, so to speak? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great question. And I think the biggest thing is that, again, obviously depends on the person, but this is what I've learned, right? So I gave this, uh, I gave this analogy, um, to a client of mine today. And it's, it's sort of similar to the radio analogy, but um, it's basically like this. This is what I said. I said, there's basically like, there's there's not two sides of you, but there's two sides of this situation. And it's basically, you know, there is like, imagine one version of yourself 
or imagine some version of yourself and maybe like a distortion of yourself. Um, that's more of like a shadow, very dark looking. Um, and then imagine like a version of yourself that is more or less like an embodiment of like light of like something that's bright. And that is like your, your conscious mind. That's like who, who you want to be. That's your authentic consciousness. Whereas like the darker version of you in like kind of that shadowy, um, distorted version, that's like the anxiety self that depending on your history, depending on how long you've been around this boat, I know for me, like I, I was in sort of like this social anxiety, this loop for 10 years of my life. Right. And so imagine like, imagine some dude who's been going to the gym for 10 years, this guy, imagine he's ripped. He's, and he's the dark shadow distorted version of yourself. Right. But then there's the real you and the real you hasn't been going to the gym for 10 years. Okay. Maybe, maybe he has in different ways. Maybe he's been doing his crunches every, you know, once a month or something, but like, he's going to be super scrawny. And like, the reality is, is that in terms of your mind, that shadow distorted body, at least for me, was like a bodybuilder. But then the real me had like, was super weak, had no power. And so whenever it came to like these socially anxious situations and I tried to use my mind, I could never win against my mind because my mind has been going to the gym for 10 years. My, my mind, like that anxiety version has been going to the gym for 10 years. He can literally just like easily like just squash the, 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 you know, my real sort of authentic mind. And so I think the biggest thing that I've learned is like when you're in those situations, you cannot use your thoughts to try to defeat your thoughts. Because if you have been living under this lens of social anxiety, they're going to win every single time. And like that's what gets people stuck. And so the biggest thing is you need to go outside of your mind. And the simplest, most straightforward way to do that is literally by trying to focus all of your attention on your physical body sensation of your breath. And it, like literally if you do that, um, and again, like if you do this for the first time in your life, like you're going to have to do it for like a few minutes. But if you're able to do this and this is what's going to help you become more mindful of your body, that's like the first step. Because once you can like anchor your body in like the physical environment, then things are going to get a lot better. Because like what happens is people who have social anxiety, they, they often have a false fear of being afraid of their physical environment. And that's because, you know, usually when they were younger, they would, they were put in different environments and situations that were toxic, that were not nice to them, that threatened them. But then as they get older and they're maybe no longer in those environments, their brain is still terrified of the physical environment. And so what will happen is like someone will walk into a room with social anxiety, okay? And then what will happen is the second they walk in the room, all of a sudden their mind and their brain is now running through like what I call a social anxiety algorithm, okay? So it's like literally trying to like create these assumptions, it's trying to predict the future, Based on like, hey, we entered in this scenario. There's these people who are waiting for us. We're going to approach them. What are we going to say? How are we going to look? All these like these different algorithmic things. And what happens is the person walks in the room and then they are terrified to see people like who are waiting there, looking at them, not looking at them. And so what they do is they look down or they try to look away. Okay. And then what happens in that moment is that 
now your mind is now taking control of the situation. Now your mind is detaching from physical reality. And then now it's running through the whole algorithmic list of survival cognitive biases and fears and memories that help make social anxiety possible. And part of it comes from, it's kind of like a paradoxical thing of like not wanting to look at the physical environment. But what happens is when you don't look at the physical environment, your brain doesn't know what the threat is. And so when your brain doesn't know what the threat is, now it has to look down and then imagine. And what's imagining is your mind that's been infested by social anxiety which is almost always going to destroy you and make you a thousand times more anxious. And so that's what the biggest thing that I would say is like if someone who's never, you know, they haven't done any of these things that we just talked about in terms of the foundations, um, but they want something that's more instant, that's the biggest thing. It's like you need to connect with the physical. And the way that you do that is trying to put all of your attention on like breathing. And I don't even mean doing deep, deep breaths. Maybe you could do deep breaths, but just putting your attention on your breath and like what it's like to like feel the, the air flow out of you to then inhale through your nostril, then go down your body, then go down your lungs, then out. That's like the anchor. Like, you know how ships have anchors and they throw them down so they don't move. The mind's anchor is your breath. And so you anchor it in the breath. And then what you do is then you actually pay attention as much as you can to the physical environment. You pay as much possible attention on your external environment. Um, like when it comes to social situations and people who face social anxiety, because what that's going to help you do is that's going to help you slowly start to like unwind from the, the automatic algorithm of social anxiety that your mind runs every single time. And so that's like the biggest thing that I would say that people can do that is instant. Yeah. Really, really getting into your body. Have you listened to the the recent Tim Ferriss podcast with uh, Andrew Hubbard to use his name again? No, no, no I haven't. Oh, then he was on it. Oh, he man. was on it. The reason oh, I mentioned that yeah. is because um, they were actually talking about this at the end, the idea that when your mind is over taking a situation with, with anxiety or, or whatever feeling you're experiencing that you can't really overcome the mind with the mind. You've got to get into the body. Um, and I think like it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about those imagining those situations, which is that what if like the prediction machine in your brain going rampant with the algorithm. Um, and it kind of leads into this, this last question I had, which was about your recent TEDx talk. Actually, we're live on the weekend. So Last well, last weekend, weekend before. So congrats on that. Yeah. Huge. Thank you, man. Um, I, I listened to it. I really loved Jesus it. And Christ. I noticed there was a... This is just like the white... Oh, I'm okay now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like finally out. Um, speaking of anxiety-inducing, hey. Um, but there were a couple of practical things that you mentioned in the TEDx talk that I really liked. I was wondering if you could share one or two of those those tools, those practical strategies. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Let's see. So, so I think another big one um, that I shared in my tech. I mean, I don't. I don't really think it's like a strat. I don't really think it's a. It's like a, it's not like a habit. It's just like a concept. It's like another one of those analogies. Um, and, and I think this will help like cement what you just said. Um, and it's basically like this. Like, I f- like when you are more introverted. When you're more shy. When you're more socially anxious. Generally speaking. Um, you're very logical. You're very analytical. You, you're actually like a lot of people are very, very intelligent. They're very mentally intelligent, so to speak. Um, but I think the issue with that is that 
people can think that they can like this is what happens like your mind becomes infected by social anxiety and then your mind tries to get you to think that you can solve all of your problems even though like really for you to do anything you need not just your mind you need your mind and your body like to do things like you need to take your hand and move and walk and and sit down and breathe and all this stuff and so i think one of the biggest traps that stops people that i think i can maybe address and help is that they're too dominant in their minds and they mistake that for intelligence and 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 one of the biggest uh you know ways to sort of overcome this is by like realizing this analogy of like, so if you are, um, if you are always, always, always overthinking, what's going to happen is that the, the, your thoughts are going to groove into your brain and create like the physical infrastructure that is going to become your brain. So it's almost as if like people say like, oh, your brain is a, is a you know supercomputer or whatever? Your brain is a self-programmable supercomputer, and it's a dynamic supercomputer that can change. And so I say that because a lot of the times, your mind can end up changing your brain, as in like your software can end up changing the hardware of your brain, so that even if your software changes but your hardware doesn't, your hardware is going to bring you back to the software. So like, for example, if you have four gigabytes of RAM on your computer, but you're trying to execute like a thousand different things, it doesn't matter how amazing your software, it doesn't matter how amazing your thoughts are. You're never going to be able to think past that. And like what I try to use is like your, your iPhone and like, imagine you have like, you know, Apple releases like the best version of iOS. They have like the best software, you know, which I equate software to being like, your mindset, your thoughts, um, podcasts, you listen to books, you read things like that. And they're like, yo, we have this best software. Let me, let's install it. Right. But then you have like an original iPhone one, you have like an original iPhone two, because a lot of people are, you know, neglecting their, their sleep or their diet, um, or their exercise, or they don't think that those are related. Yo, you could literally be sitting there on like the Apple, the update version and trying to be hitting update for like the longest time. And you're like, ah, oh, damn, it's like, it's this information that I'm learning. It's like the software, it's the software. Sometimes it is, but I would say for most people, it's your brain. And, and, and like that comes from understanding that you need to work both of them and you need to be able to like understand the relationship. And, and like, if your mind has been overpowering you, then you need to use your body and your brain. Right. But then if your brain has been overpowering and like your physical body has been overpowering, because that's what part of anxiety is. It's not just your mind. It's also your body, the physical sensations in your body. Then you teach your physical body how to then behave, so to speak. And like you can do that through meditation. You can do that through, um, you know, like doing yoga, stretching, uh, sleeping, even nutrition, too. And so it's sort of understanding that it's like it's like these two components. And like one may impact the other. And so you have to look at both of these sides yourself and have to realize that like maybe you're looking in the wrong place. Makes a lot of sense. That makes I sense. think the, the thing that I loved when you just said was the software, like the idea of software updates. And I'm thinking about information diet and we've spoken about attention and, you know, you are what you pay attention to in a way. 
Um, I'm curious. You've, you've interviewed a lot of people. You've read a lot. What are some books that you feel have had the biggest impact on your life just generally? And what are the specific lessons that you took from them? Um, when people ask me like, oh, what's your favorite podcast episode that you ever did? I'm like, I, I have no idea, bro. Like, because each one of them is like different lesson. But what, I, what here's how I answer the question. I'll answer it by this. Like, I think what you said is like your information diet, how you learn. I think that's the like one of the most important things. And I think what's actually more important about that is like how you're doing it. And, and so like what I mean is like what I've learned is that you have like I think everybody's brain has a different time of the day where you learn better. So I think for some people that's early in the morning. For some people that's in the middle of the day. For some people that's later in the day. And so like for me, what I've done is like I – I dedicate the the very first part of my day towards like myself, my habits, trying to make sure that I'm right. And then I dedicate like the second early half of the day towards like my creative work, my my like writing, things that only I can do. And then I dedicate my second my my um, you know, my my other half of the day, like three fourths of the day, towards like doing meetings, things like this. But then I dedicate the last part of my day towards literally just like trying to learn about anything that I can. And like that exercise in and of itself of like, literally, I'm just like, I mean, I'm either studying something or I'm like, Mark, literally learn about whatever you want to. I think that that's something that has literally helped me more than any book that I have read of like the ability to, and again, this may not be possible for everyone, but to give yourself like a time of the day where you can have like a learning zone where it's like, you know, you're not distracted by other things. For me, again, it's like the, it's like the last part of the day, like before I'm asleep, no one's talking to me. My, my, my phone is good. I'm, I, it's either that or I'm just going to like distract myself and try to like shut off my brain by like watching some TV show that I don't really even care about. And so I would rather try to use that time to like learn about whatever it is that I want. Um, and so that sometimes that's reading. Sometimes that's like watching a YouTube video. Sometimes that's watching a TED talk. And so that habit alone, I think that's like the most sustainable habit that you can have that will be more worth it than any book that I could list right then and there. Um, but what I will say is that it depends, you know, like there's different books um, that I recommend, like, like for example, Tim Ferriss's four hour chef. I don't know if, if you even heard of that book. Um, that book totally changed my life because it taught me how to cook, which was an unlock to me then learning how to take control of my nutrition, mm. which is then the unlock to then controlling your brain. And so to answer your question, I'm so sorry if, if you're offended or anything, but um, no, but yeah, man. I think it makes. Uh, it, thank you for being patient with me. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense from a neuroscience perspective, and I'm going to validate that really quickly before asking the last question. And the reason is, like, when we sleep overnight, we have this memory consolidation process where the brain effectively replays our day in reverse, going back through all the experiences we have, and as it's doing this, it's consolidating all those learnings. So if you're learning at the end of the day, it's highly likely that that period of time is going to be replayed and actually retained better in your brain than if you put oh, that wow. right in the middle. Um, so it's, a, yeah, oh, it's I didn't really, know really that. crazy. So just, That's awesome. You can actually use this as well for any learning bouts. So if you learn for like an hour and a half and then um, you take, a, there's a recent study on this in the Cell Journal, I think 2020, you take a 20 minute non-sleep deep rest break where you just sit and don't do anything for 20 minutes. Your brain actually replays that period as well and you'll consolidate that information better. So there's some science wow. to it. There's some science to it. But dude, you're a G. <laughs> I just read too much. <laughs> Thanks, my man. Good. 
Last question is if you could leave the audience with one super practical brain tool for shyness and social anxiety, just like one thing that you actually use all the time, what would it be? Yeah, I would say literally stop this podcast right now and go do something that you were inspired to take action on when you were listening to it. Like just stop listening right now. Shut it off. Stop, stop, stop and just go do it. And like, that's, that's why, because like what I've learned, man, is like in hosting my own podcast, doing over 500 episodes, like the information is out there, man. People just need to take action, you know? And so if I can use this time to like literally remind someone that like, Hey, like, you're probably just going to forget about whatever that you were inspired to like do while you're listening to this podcast, just shut off this podcast and just go do it. Just go do it or like go in your calendar and schedule when you're going to do it. I think that's the biggest actionable tip that I can say. And then to also, of course, please check out my work if I can, if I can help in regards to, um, you know, I talked about the book a thousand times, the best place for people to check out what I've got going on to contact me is if you go to my website, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. I hope, I hope they'll put a link in the description. Um, You can put your email in my newsletter and I shoot out emails every week and I try to make them educational and informational and you can respond to any email I send you and I'll respond directly back to you. That's the best way to get in contact with me. That's awesome. And I think we'll definitely put that in the show notes and and the links for sure. And I think ending on that note, I think that aligns perfectly with what you're doing, obviously, with your podcast and, you know, what we're doing here in terms of, you know, self-directed neuroplasticity, right? You actualize all these things by acting it out in the real world and potentially ahead sometimes, but it's that um, biased Mm. action, as you said, that whether it is looking at information diet, whether it is looking at your actual diet, a mindfulness meditation and so on, that leads to the rewiring in your brain and takes advantage of that phenomena that we have, which is we can change our brain with neuroplasticity, which is fantastic. So go check out Mark's work and the TED Talk. That's awesome. Go check out his work. Go follow him on LinkedIn where he's also posting uh, value bombs every day. I know because I (laughs) read most of them. Uh, Mark, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you coming on today. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, this was awesome. I have so many questions I want to ask you guys now, but I understand that's kind of the end. So. <laughs> follow up episode. Follow up episode. Stay tuned. Thanks everyone for for tuning into this one, uh, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>